Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello everyone and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host today, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable and successful for years to come. This week on the EDGE podcast, I'm excited to invite our fellow NSCHBC member, Debbie Carr, CEO of DK Carr and Associates, a small business firm focused on cybersecurity for the small dental and medical practices. And those practices may be vulnerable to cyber threats and attacks. While she is recognized as one of the top experts in small medical and dental practice, HIPAA, high-tech compliance and cybersecurity, Debbie's years of private practice management experience and experience in technology and security make her your perfect companion on your IT security team. I had the pleasure of listening to Debbie present a topic at our winter workshop consultants retreat for the NSCHBC and I was just intrigued by all of her knowledge and how approachable she is so I'm excited to have her today. So if you couldn't figure it out by now we are talking today about cyber threats and security and possible attacks in a medical and dental practice. So Debbie welcome to the podcast. Well thank you I'm excited to be here. So just for the listeners, I'm a little, I'm just recovering from being a little under the weather. So if you hear a, a squeak or a crack in my voice, I apologize, but the show must go on. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm trying very hard. I'm, I'm not going to cough in my microphone. I have my mute button. So we have some issues. This, this is so outside my wheelhouse, but I hear more and more practices, especially on the small scale. They are really concerned with cyber threats, cyber attacks, um, you know, healthcare cybersecurity focuses on preventing attacks and defending systems from unauthorized access and use. But my concern, and I'm sure you probably deal with this every day, is that we are getting more and more IT savvy, more and more, you know, um, interoperability, they call it, with combining, you know, this um, network with this network and interfacing doesn't that add to being compromised? I mean, let's kind of start there. It well, it it, it does, especially in the small practice, because a lot of times uh, the technology is <clears throat> moving faster than the environment can handle, and so you have a, we have a lot of products and and technology that is used in the in practices that are legacy. Um, items, but also you've got practices that are adding technology and they're they're adding it to make it work, but they're not really keeping security in mind with it. And so it leaves it very vulnerable. And yes, as we move towards a more interoperable uh, environment, we're seeing uh, many more vulnerabilities come into play. So what's interesting to me about all of this is that it seems that people are I don't want to say sacrificing patient privacy protection or HIPAA for new, brighter, shinier IT. I mean, I've even seen this in AI systems. What what are you seeing with that? Well, yeah, I, I see a lot of that. And, and again, the problem goes back to the technology is shiny. But when you're adding in that technology, you have to consider how is this going to affect our practice? And a lot of times, because most small practices cannot 
afford to have an on-staff IT person or an on-staff IT company, they're working with an MSP. And I'm very big on every practice should work with an MSP, but it needs to be the right MSP, which is a managed service provider that is really monitoring the network and knows what is on the network. There's so often I go into practices and the practice has added technology because it's it's the latest and greatest. And as we move into um, 3D printing and we move into uh, a lot of cloud and tablets, the staff are adding the device without the IT knowing it. And so these are what I consider rogue devices that are very vulnerable because wow. they're forward facing to the public with and having patient information on them. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of people look at cybersecurity as only attacking the computer and the EMR. And one thing that I've um, noticed when I do on-site consultations is that <laughs> this is kind of, it's kind of terrible. I've been in a couple practices that use kind of an Alexa type thing, Amazon type thing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they shout room to room, Alexa, how would I treat this? And you can hear what's going on. And then all of a sudden you hear Alexa start talking about something because they overheard a conversation. And, yeah. you know, kind of like it, well, actually you'll find this funny. We were, we were on a Zoom call recently and I was joking around with people on a Zoom call and I'm like, it's kind of like, hey Alexa. And somebody on the call had their Alexa, they were in Ohio, <laughs> I'm in California. And, the, and their Alexa in their background going, yes, Terry, how can I help you? And I was like, <laughs> She's like, oh, she knows you. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was frightening. So my, you know, like you said, they're, they're <laughs> adding these machines. I'm sorry. I know this isn't funny, but it kind of is just, it's crazy amusing, right? It's just it, like, it, it is it, and it's happening. It, it's one of those things where the, the issue is, especially with the small practice and that they, they want that shiny technology and and it does help and there's a fine line between um what's good and what's bad right and so you know we it's you can have it correctly the problem that i see with most of my when i'm working in practices is that the all of the security is placed on the um the managed service provider Everybody thinks that cybersecurity is the IT. And the reality is, is that the weight of cybersecurity and the weight of HIPAA is not on the IT. It's actually on the policies and procedures that you have. M many, most small practices do not have a security manual when every practice should have a security manual. One of the first um, policy and process they should have is an acceptable use policy. The, how are your staff supposed to use your devices? And what are the realms that they can use it in? Uh, we place so much, we think that the IT is, is able to do all of our cybersecurity for us, but the reality is, is they're looking at the boxes they're looking at the firewall and they're looking at the network. They're not looking at how the data is moving. And when you think of cybersecurity, or my passion is making cybersecurity because it, it is like an umbrella. Everything, every decision that's made should be in, 
in the security realm. Who do you hire? IT is not going to help you with who you hire. IT shouldn't even be helping you with um, what permissions they should have. It should be a collaborative team effort <clears throat> to truly protect the practice. So cybersecurity is more than just the IT. It and and but you do need to have an IT to work with, but you should also work with an IT um, consultant. You know, it's funny you say that because it seems like that concept is in, in also in the in my space. Like I said, I'm not really in the cyber, you know, IT space, but I find in <laughs> revenue cycle management and in practice management, I'll say, can I see your um, your uh, compliance policies or compliance plans or an outline, anything, <laughs> nobody has right. anything. Nobody like, has them. Yeah, I'm like, well then how do you know, how does the staff know what to do? How do they know how to fix something if it's broken? How do they know how to they chastise? Don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't, and and that's part of the problem because they will, they will do what they think is best. Wow. So it's not that they're intentionally, you know, trying to do something. What they're doing is what they think is the best thing because they've not, there's no policy to guide them. There's no procedure to guide them. And even if there is, they don't train on how that is supposed to be done. And so training is in a practice is also very important to have those constant security reminders. You know, don't share your passion passwords. It seems like it's a, a normal thing, yet it happens all the time. Hey, I forgot my password. Would you log in here or give me your password so I can get in? It's just, it's basic little things because we're very busy. And of course our focus needs to be patient care, but there has to be a balance between patient protection and patient care and securing that patient data. Because the reality is, is our patients trust us when they give us information they trust that we're going to protect it because that trust is there. When the doctor tells them you should do this treatment, it's a trust relationship. When that trust is violated, they lose trust in the treatment as well. That's a really good point. Now, I have a question since you work mostly with the um the smaller practices which this is great because i know not everyone you know i have one i have one particular client that we're always dealing with it because i log in remotely to their system to audit them and you know they've got a hundred physicians they've got a whole it department mm -hmm. um and so i never know if i'm getting one of five people but like you said they have a department you know and then we've got i've got smaller clients that have one to five physicians and I said, do you have an IT person or an IT department? They're like, let me talk, to, let me have you talk to my wife or let me have you talk to right. my daughter. She, she kind of works, she knows computers. That's all they say. And it, it, it kind of makes me nervous because like you said, I think people purchase EMR systems, electronic medical records. Um, they purchase practice management systems. And there's just an assumption there that they're safe. There's no reason that you shouldn't trust them to, to keep you protected. But Debbie, do well, you have to, there, you there have is to get that something extra, right? What you do, you, because there's a lot of there's you have not only we put all of our stock in the EMR. Let me start there. We put all of our stock in the EMR. We think that that is where all of our data is. But when you really start looking, when I go into a practice and do a risk analysis, I look at all of their outside vendors. And when you start looking at who all they're using to support the operation of their business. 
um, you're going to find that there's a lot of other vendors that are accessing patient information that if a threat actor gets in, I don't necessarily need to be able to get into the EMR. I can maybe get into the imaging. I can maybe get into the the um, uh, uh, analytical program. I can maybe get into the claims adjuster. You know, a lot of people are now going to the uh, where they're using outsourcing cl um, claims. I can just get into that information. So you, it starts with identifying what information you have and what information needs to go out. During COVID, I had several clients that uh, were hit with ransomware and they had to pay the ransom or they paid the ransom to get their QuickBooks back because they were trying to apply for PPP loans and their QuickBooks had been hit with ransomware and they couldn't access it. We had their patient data, but we didn't have their QuickBooks data. And so it's knowing what, where that information is created, transmitted, or stored. Wow. Now, that just blows my mind when I hear this stuff. So I was recently speaking to a physician group, and they were talking about cybersecurity and cyber threats. And one provider, uh, one physician was saying something like, well, if I ever got hit with that, I would just make sure that I'd contact my congressman or my senator and they would have to get me out of it. I'm like, I don't think that's how that works. That is not how it works. Yeah. So anytime, anytime there is a misuse of patient data, the patient has to be notified. But when the, and you're required under, under federal law, under the HIPAA law to do an investigation, what a lot of practices don't realize is that they are we, they're all 50 states in Puerto Rico now all have laws to protect their patients or their residents. So not only are you dealing with patient data because of the information, I mean, the first thing we ask is what's your name? What's your phone number and email address? So now we have PII, protected identifiable information that is protected by all 50 states in Puerto Rico. So I, like I'm dealing with a data breach right now where we, because of the location of the practice, we wound up having to report to all 50 states and Puerto Rico. I think Wyoming was the only state we didn't we didn't have to report to second on second thought and uh, office of civil rights, but you have to do an investigation. You have to determine, is there a high or low probability that that information has been compromised? Nothing is worse than having that threat actor start calling your patients and telling your patients, Hey, we were able to get your data from your doctor. They do so, that. They call the yes, patients. They, oh yes, my gosh. They do that. They email. I got a call oh yesterday where a hacker in South Africa is has compromised the email accounts and has emailed and called the patient telling the patient for an upcoming surgery it was going to be $450. Whoa. I see now on my so, see this is awesome information because my understanding is that when there was a security breach or a hack or anything like that it was just all like, you know, sad Max coming out of, up on your computer, locking you out and saying, pay this money unless um, if you want to get back in. And I've even found some people are saying we even had to pay in Bitcoin and then they corrupted our files. We could only get back in, but there was nothing left. I had no idea they were calling patients. They will call patients. I've had threat actors. <clears throat> they don't even encrypt your files anymore because that just takes too much time. They just take your data and then post it and tell you they don't even post it on the dark web anymore. They just post it on a website and say, look, we have your data, pay us. 
Um, and of course, we don't want you to pay, but we want you be, we want you to have the safeguards in place. And almost every data breach is is avoidable. That's that's the sad thing. Is wow. in almost every case, a data breach is avoidable, but it's about having those controls in place. And so many, especially small doctors, they think, oh, my IT company is doing it for me I, or my sister or my uncle, because they can take a, make a network talk. But that's not what a, a security plan is. That's not what um, will protect the practice. It is a combination. We call it security in depth or layers of security. You know, I use the analogy of um, your home. It used to be, we didn't even lock our doors. I live in the country. We didn't even lock doors. Now we lock our doors. We have um, deadbolts on our doors. We have signs that say we have an alarm company and we have an alarm company and we have, you know, the ring doorbell, right? Um, we have all these layers. If they get past the ring, at least we have a picture of them. If they bust in the front door, our alarm company is hopefully going to notify the um, police. So it's all about the security and the layers of security that you have in place. So that the, the goal is that they have to go through so many steps that they say, you know what, this is too hard. I'm going to go to the easy guy and they just keep going. Um, but a lot of small practices do not realize that they put all of their stock in their EMR. As you said, they also put all of their stock that I can't tell you how many times I'm talking with a doctor and they go, yeah, my IT company's got that. And then when I, I, you talk to the IT company and I can't get them to do basic things such as monitoring user activity. Well, Everybody in the office is using the same password and the same credentials. And in most cases, you know, it's doc one, two, three with an exclamation point. Uh, everybody knows it. They've been using it since 20, oh, 2005. And you've had people come and go. And it, it, we just don't, we think the IT's got this. And then we're shocked. Um, was there something I could have done in every incident response case I've ever had? either the doctor or the office manager will look at me and was there something we could have done? Yes. If you had one of the first things is to conduct a risk analysis, know what your current security posture is, know what, and, and the nice thing about that is if you look at the HIPAA security rule, it tells you the first thing to do is conduct a risk analysis. The second <laughs> thing to do is to have a security management plan. There are like 152 plus administrative controls under HIPAA. There are only 12 te technical controls, only 12. So your IT company is not protecting you. Your IT company is not going to tell you how your data is going to flow. Your IT company is not going to tell you how you release records to a patient, to another doctor, to a deceased um, next of kin, to farm, um, police department. All of these things ha ha have to be taken into consideration. They may set up your encrypted email, but do they tell you how to send the encrypted email? Do they tell you how to hire? Do they tell you how to vet that person to make sure that their licenses are up to date? I've had several instances lately where um, 
people in the practice that are supposed to be licensed are not licensed. They've stolen somebody's license or their you license are expired. Well. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, but your IT company isn't going to check those things out. And most importantly, your IT company is not going to be the one in the practice that is able to enforce those policies and procedures, making sure that patients are always escorted. I've had patients go into their ledger and try to delete um, transactions that have happened because they were left unattended in an operatory with a computer open. So, you know, we always think of the hacker sitting in um, out, you know, some foreign country, but we also have to be concerned with insider threats because we're seeing a combination of both of those that are, are causing problems within the data. So let's say somebody would, would contact you at small practice. Um, it's, and what would be your first, you know, um, thing to that you would say to them as far as if they said, you know what, we feel that we possibly have a compromised situation, but we were watching the news and we want to be proactive. And so can you come in and, and take a look? What was the first thing you do? So when it's incident response, so whenever there's a data breach, that's what we call it. We call it incident response because we need to do that investigation. There's six points that we need to look at. Who accessed the information? How did they access the information? What information was compromised? Is it compromised? So we need to do an investigation. So we, what we do is we act as the incident response lead. We go in, we work with the practice to navigate through all of the nuances and all of the paths that have to be done all at one time, because a lot of times the IT, their focus is to get the doctor back up and running, which is great. But we now have a crime scene. And I can't tell you how many times the IT has gone in and started wiping and clearing things, which causes a problem because now we can't do the forensic investigation to get that documentation that says, oh, no data was compromised. All they did was drop their payload and go, or they did exfiltrate. We've got to do that forensic investigation. And IT is not qualified. You have to use a certified forensic investigator for that in order for it to hold up with OCR and which is the Office of Civil Rights. So it's real important that you use the right people. Um, We help to navigate through the insurance. We help to navigate through the forensic team. We help to navigate. We start right away looking at what plans we can do for restoration. Do we notify the patients? How do we have to report? There's a lot of things that go into incident response. Plus it's an emotional toll on the doctor. You know, the doctors think that they're losing their entire life. And so you've got, I've had them literally on the server room floor crying. So you've got to, you know, work through the emotion and let them know this is not going to be the end. We are going to get through this and I'm here to help you get through this. But the best path is to be proactive. And that is to have your ducks in a row, so to speak, before the attack happens. So the other service that we provide is the risk analysis that every practice should be doing on an annual basis to make sure, because even 
the even when there's a change of an environment and just changing an employee technically is a change in the environment. Adding a, a iPad, adding a 3D printer is a change of an environment. Technically, that's when an, another risk analysis should be done. But at least in a small practice, do them annually. And, and it, it's not a checklist. A lot of companies do checklists. We scan every computer. We want to know what every computer has on it. And we also do pen testing. We try to, we, we basically from Florida, try to hack into our client systems, because if we can get through, then a hacker is going to be able to get through. So it's, it's doing the external as well as the internal to know what's going on and then close those vulnerabilities or put the right security controls in there, those layers of security to protect the practice and to protect the investment. Wow, that's a, that's a ton of information and it sounds like you guys are just um, so on top of it. So we appreciate just really you bringing that to our attention. I think it's important that our listeners really understand the risk analysis versus you know, um, having to come to somebody once the threat or the attack has already happened. So Debbie, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you being on the podcast today. And it couldn't come at a better time because all we hear in the news is about cyber attacks. So thank you very much for being here and, and lending your insights. You're most welcome. I'm ha always happy to do it. To contact Debbie Carr directly, go to nschbc.org website, click on the Find a Consultant tab, and type in Debbie in the first name field or Carr in the last name field, and you'll have her direct contact information. Also, as a reminder, the nschbc.org website offers free monthly webinars on a variety of topics, as well as a quarterly month Medicare webinar. For regulatory updates, please go to nschbc.org and click on the tab Upcoming Education. Our next one is Tuesday, October 17th, and yes, yours truly is the presenter for that Medicare update. So that's it for us today, everyone. Make it a great day and a great rest of your month, and thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. I'm Terry Fletcher. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants.